It's a beautiful day and a fine time for healing. Podcast host Randy Fine, a narcissistic abuse expert and the author of the groundbreaking book, Close Encounters of the Worst Kind, and the captivating memoir, Cliff Edge Road, invites you into her sanctuary, a place where your physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being are all that matter. So put your feet up, relax, and enjoy today's show. And now, here's Randy. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in. To listen to A Fine Time for Healing, I am your show host, Randy Fine. Has this ever happened to you? You're scrolling along Facebook or Instagram and thinking, why can't that be me? How are these people so happy and successful amid all of this? And that's it. Your mood is ruined. According to the American Psychological Association, social media can negatively affect your self-esteem and trigger you into believing that you are not good enough. Today's special guest, Dr. Agatha Sylvia, author of The Shift, How to Become Everything You've Ever Wanted Without Giving Anything Up, specializes in how hormones and brain chemistry impact human behavior and the ability to make lasting changes. Dr. Agatha's personal story of intense struggle, loss, and self-discovery led her to identify a simple system to realize any dream, achieve a goal, or develop a new habit. She has studied extensively on how the human brain and related physiology impacts decision-making and years learning about the influence and significance of brain chemistry in order to create long-lasting change. Dr. Agatha holds a doctor of dental surgery degree in Canada and has been in practice for 25 years. Good morning, Dr. Agatha. Welcome to A Fine Time for Healing. Good morning, Randy. Uh, Thank you for having me on your show, and I think this is such an important topic to cover, so I'm really excited to be part of it. Yes, I agree. I'm excited to have you. Um, So what is going on? Why? um, What has changed with us and self-esteem since social media has really taken over? Well, social media is a new thing for our generation anyways, and we're really noticing the reinforcing nature of it. Um, I I do see that using it activates the brain's reward center uh, by releasing dopamine. So that feel-good chemical that is linked to pleasure, um, it makes people feel good by using it. And that's something that you know, I, you and I haven't grown up with. It's new to us. Um, the other thing is, is that it is designed to be addictive and it is associated with anxiety, depression, um, other physical ailments. So essentially it's something that we're really seeing, especially in our younger people um, that we didn't see when we were growing up. Right. So you really believe that it has been designed to be addictive. And, and that's actually, that's absolutely the result. And it happens with everyone. It's, it's mm-hmm. very, yeah. People are totally, totally attached to their phones, looking at this all day, all night. It's, it's really crazy. Um, <clears throat> so mm-hmm. why does... Um, when we're scrolling through social media, what makes us think that we're not good enough or 
you know, I'm not, I don't measure up. Why isn't life fair? Mm -hmm. Why do we get stuck thinking things like that? Well, I I think it's a, a, it's a, there's a lot of different answers to it, but essentially it, social media begins to appear like it boosts self-esteem and and it kind of gives you a, a, a false sense of feeling of belonging in social circles. So initially when you're scrolling through and you're participating in it, you do feel like you belong to a group of people. But then you begin to uh, make comparisons between you and other people. And so then you start to think, well, why did I uh, get this few likes and this person's getting so many? Or why didn't people like my post? Or, you know, you're searching for validation on the internet instead of a meaningful connection in real life. And then there's that fear of missing out, feeling excluded, feeling of inadequacy about yourself. And so it kind of begins to erode at your self-esteem and what you think about yourself. And, and the thing is that what you see on social media is what people want you to see. You only see their good parts, right? So the constant messages are there about good things in people's lives, but you don't see the stuff they're trying to hide. And that is the things that are actually making you feel more inadequate because you know that you have certain things that maybe you're not proud of or you'd like to improve, and it feels like you're the only one. So it begins to feel like you're not enough, you're not good enough in comparison to others because you don't have that perfect life that you see out there. Yes. Yes, absolutely, that's true. I find... You know, I've been married for um, over 33 years, and <clears throat> I've had a lot of anniversaries. My anniversaries to, with my husband are private. I don't need to post. He's so wonderful. Mm-hmm. He gave me flowers and show a picture of the flower and show a picture of the gift. And, and I think, and I wonder, <laughs> like, why are people doing that? Um, but then when you look at it, you go, well, I didn't get that for my anniversary. <laughs> you know, are they, are they loved more than me? I mean, like, what is going on here? So I know it, it like, sends me into a tailspin, and I just, it's like, yeah. no, I don't, need to, I don't need to do this, but why do people feel the need to do this? So, so why are they doing that? I mean, is it just to cover up what's not going on in their life? I mean, what is your feeling on that? I think people just, some people are more external and other people are more internal. And the fact that you said that you, uh, you know, when you celebrate something, you don't post it. It's your personal life and, and, you know, there's no need to share it with others. Whereas some other people who are very external want the world to see it because that's how they get connection. That's how they feel happy. That's how they connect with others. And so we're all different types of people. Some of us are more external than others. Other people just don't do anything on social media because they don't need to. Um, Ultimately, the challenge becomes when it starts to erode what you think of yourself, when you're seeing other people posting what, you know, somebody else gave their spouse for their anniversary. And so then you take something that you got and it was a wonderful experience or a beautiful gift and you start to question the gift itself thinking, well, why didn't he get me this or why didn't he do better? And so you take something wonderful and you erode it by comparing to other people. Yes, that's exactly what happens. So you know what I do? 
I don't look at it. I don't go on it. <laughs> I, I just don't. I don't, look, I don't look at it. I just say, you know what? I don't, I don't go on my um, personal Facebook page. And um, mostly what I do on Instagram and Facebook is business and connecting with people um, with the platform mm-hmm. that I use. But Mm-hmm. Personally, I, it just doesn't do it for me. So, um, so, so, what is happening? You talked about hormones, uh, and that's mm-hmm. making it addictive. So, what's happening with our hormones when we are engaging in social media? Well, social media is it, it basically creates a dopamine release. So, uh, dopamine is the feel good chemical that's linked to many, many other activities that we enjoy. And uh, most of us can get dopamine in many different ways. The, uh, you know, you can get dopamine by um, checking things on your to-do list, right? Uh, so it's kind of like the, the motivation hormone. But nowadays, more and more, you can get this constant dopamine drip from engaging in social media, and it feels really good. That dopamine can make you feel really good. And so when you you know, stop yourself from doing it, or people take these so-called uh, detox breaks from their phones, they actually miss out on that hormone release. And, and, and they're feeling like they're missing out on something. They're not feeling good. They're not feeling that pleasure they used to feel. And so the challenge is, well, you know, I, I don't feel good anymore, so I might as well pick up the phone and get on there and get that dopamine drip again. And so replacing it to create the dopamine drip with something other than the social media or, or however else you meet, meet your dopamine drip in a negative way and doing it in a positive way is actually the first step to stepping away from the negative feelings of engaging in social media all the time. Hmm. Do you think this will ever phase out? Oh, I wish I knew. I wish I could tell what the future is going to do. <laughs> That's one big question that we all wish we had an answer to. I I don't know. I don't know. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I think that being the generation that watched it take over, and I think the the kids that were introduced to it initially were overwhelmed by it. And maybe hopefully the next generation, because it's going to be part of their lives uh, and they don't, they don't know any different. It'll just be, you know, one of the things they do, but it won't be the big thing that they do engage in. Maybe it'll just be something smaller. That's my right. hope anyways. Yeah. I mean, that would be, that's a good, um, a good hope. Um, I hope that as well. I, I, you know, when I walk sometimes in the morning and I see the kids on the bus stop, I, re- I think back to when I was a kid waiting on the bus stop and we were all talking and we were all laughing and we were sharing mm-hmm. things and we were kidding ourselves and mm-hmm. some were bullying and everything like that. The kids nowadays, there's no connection whatsoever. They're all looking at their phones. Everybody's looking down. Every kid is looking down, and no one is talking to each other. They're like little islands mm-hmm. sitting next to each other. Um, they're missing a huge part of connecting uh, with humanity. They are, but they're also using those phones in order to not do the thing that they're most scared to do, which is basically to talk to another kid that they don't really know very well, right? I mean, that's, that's a confidence thing. That's an secu- insecurity thing. Um, if you're nervous, if you're introverted, if you're shy, and you've got all these kids around you and you don't really know what to say, the safest thing is to pick up your phone and look busy, 
You know, you've got friends on the internet, so you're going to talk to them instead. Um, rather than just say, hey, Billy, like, what grade are you in? Or, you know, what's your favorite subject? Or what do you like to play? Like, what kind of sports do you do? That's a tough thing at that age. It's a tough thing for us a lot of the time. It's hard for some adults to engage in conversation, let alone children. But that's a skill that we should be teaching our kids at home. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I wonder if they're teaching that in school. I wonder if, they're, if they've realized, you know, and put this into the curriculum to help these kids make social connections. Um, mm. You know, and the other thing is that um, so many kids aspire to be famous on social media. That's what they want to do with the rest of their life. They want to be rich and famous on social media because that's what they see others in their generation doing. And they think that, well, that's yeah. the way to do it. It looks so glorious and glamorous and so many kids want to do that. And everybody can be a, a movie star on TikTok. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And fame is such a misleading thing because what you, what you don't know happens behind closed doors actually does happen. I mean, we're all aware of our own stuff, but we think everything out there is so shiny and sparkly from the outside that you don't know what demons lie below. And just because somebody's famous today on whatever social media platform doesn't mean that they're actually living authentic lives. They're happy. They're doing what they want to do. And many of them are. And I'm not saying that they're not. But what you see is not, it's just like TV. What you see is not the real thing. You don't see the full person. You don't see the full package. You only see the, the, the surface they want you to see. And we have to come to terms with the fact that nobody's perfect. And we have to allow ourselves to step away from these negative thoughts of, of how we feel when we look at certain social media and be really kind to ourselves and forgive ourselves for feeling that and then move forward to build ourselves up and grow. So you wrote the book, you wrote the book, The Shift, and um, what exactly is The Shift and how does that apply to what we're talking about? Mm-hmm. So The Shift is a simple system that really does exactly that. It shifts your thoughts in order to boost your body's natural production of some specific key hormones that are responsible for helping you achieve whatever it is you want to achieve in a way that is easy and feels good. And that's the key. The, the feeling good in terms of accomplishing something is the way to create long-term change. So this was a personal story that I, I mean, I wrote this book a very long time ago and I, basically wrote it really for myself. Um, I was struggling. I had just a lot going on in life. Uh, it was 2008 and I was basically, you know, uh, the market crashed. My business was failing. My relationship failed. I lost my house. Like I was just raising a five-year-old daughter by myself and it was just really a challenging time in life. And I kind of had a moment where I had a glimpse of the future and what it needs to be like, what it should be like. And out of that came the shift. And essentially, I just looked for ways to change how I feel about my actions and change how I feel about myself and create a very slow drip, that constant drip of those hormones that make you feel good in a way that allowed me to just create some massive changes in my life. Hmm. Yeah, it's amazing what is born out of um, adversity. 
so many mm. wonderful things are born out of adversity. So in your book, um, you talk about three steps that are required to form an identity. So how does our identity relate to this social media envy thing? Well, essentially, identity begins in very early childhood or the development of it. So who you are uh, depends on how you developed in early childhood and adolescence and specifically how, you know, how we interpret certain events during the key stages of our development. So there are certain things that develop before you even knew they developed. So you, you, there are certain things you feel that you don't even know why. And as you um, become an adolescent and then an adult, you know, those values stick with you. And then the question is, you know, did you develop confidence or did you develop guilt, for example, in your preschool years? Or did you develop a sense of freedom or did you um, develop a feeling of shame? So all these different aspects of our personality start to come out when we're being, I guess, for lack of a better word, uh, threatened by the social media that we're viewing. And we start to question our own self. Uh, we begin to feel jealous or angry or envy. We, we start to have negative thoughts instead of the positive ones. And, you know, we fall victim to this, but the, the reality is that there's a difference between saying that, you know, for example, I am maybe 20 pounds heavier than I'd like to be versus saying I'm really fat. Or, you know, saying to yourself, I made a mistake this time in this relationship versus saying to yourself, I'm a doormat and, you know, nothing good ever happens. You know, social media reinforces that tiny little negative aspect of ourselves. Yes, it does. Absolutely. Um. I was um, in your in your in chapter four habits and highways. You talk about mm-hmm. Dr. George, Dr. George, Dr. George's plastic paradox, yep. um, mm-hmm. and I thought that was really interesting. Can you explain that? What that is? Yeah. So uh, essentially, human beings used to believe that your brain can't change. Your brain is your brain. There's nothing you can do about it. And then Dr. Doidge basically did uh, a number of studies that showed that the brain uh, has neuroplasticity. What that means is that the brain has the ability to change. It has the ability to rewire itself. And what this means is that our routines, the things that we do, whether it's you know, physical actions like driving to work every day the same way or how we get ready in the morning, or certain behaviors that we do over and over, these all create these neural pathways in your brain. And the longer you do these behaviors, the more developed they become. So essentially, these are your habits. And if the habits are good, then, you know, we want to do more of them. If the habits are negative, the longer you've been doing them, the harder it becomes to interrupt them. But in order to interrupt these, one of the things that he found in his, um, in his research was you can't just interrupt these and think that they're going to go away. So you can't just stop a habit and say, okay, no problem, I'm done. You actually have to introduce a new one and practice that over and over again, but you also have to reward it. You have to attach a reward 
to the new behavior in order for it to essentially become a new habit. And so this shows us that we have this incredible power to drive changes in our brain and impact our own behavior. And you know that saying, you know, um, we are what we think about. Well, that is so very true based on that research. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> You know, uh, I was thinking about, you know, I'd asked you about identity, and, and it reminded me that uh, in the work that I do, which is narcissistic abuse, um, mm-hmm. n- uh, many people, especially if they've come, uh, if they've started with childhood abuse, um, do not mm-hmm. have an identity. So, um, you know, we have to begin structuring that identity. So, but you talk about three steps that are required to form an identity, and it would be great if you would um, go over that with us. So, it, it basically comes down to sort of understanding yourself and understanding who you are and, like, the real you. So, what you're good at and what your strengths are and sort of what you really, what you would never do and what you would sometimes do. Um, and out of that, basically defining, and I describe this in a lot of detail in, in my book, The Shift, but, um, it, you know, getting into the right state to figure out your emotional state, to figure out who you really are and who you want to be, who um, you want people to remember you for and, and say, sir, when you're not even in the room, like, what do you want to be known for? And then use those strengths and use the thing that you want to be known for to really align with your deeper values. And so that leads to fulfillment. So that's sort of like the step one, step two. And then out of that, when you keep reinforcing it and you um, are doing it from a state of gratitude as opposed to um, you know, maybe being depressed or being sad or be feeling lonely, when you do it from the right place emotionally, you start to make better decisions. And as a result, you start to increase in your personal growth. So you become the person that you've been wanting to be all along. Hmm. I find um, sometimes people don't believe that they're allowed to have an identity or be who they are. And when I tell them they can, they open their eyes like, what? I can really be? Mm -hmm. Have you ever discovered that with people? Like it's, it's, um, they're like, oh, I didn't really know I could just be who I am, you know, and that's good enough um, in life just to be who I am. And uh, it's such a, a an eye-opening experience for so many people that never felt like they were entitled to develop an identity. Um, and that, that may sound strange to those of us who just have you know, naturally built this identity, but some people really Mm -hmm. don't know who they are. Right. Mm. And, you know, I'm not an expert in trauma in any way, or um, or I'm certainly not a therapist. So I, I, I don't have an understanding, a deep understanding of how to develop that when you don't have it. However, I do also find that when you're given that opportunity, you know, what do I do with this? And people get afraid. Uh, It's like, you mean I can have, I can do whatever I want, or I can make decisions for myself when I haven't been able to all this time. And that's scary to somebody. I mean, if you're very motivated by 
the feeling of safety. And, and what I mean by safety is, you know, what somebody is, is very boxed in and they've been told what to think, what to believe, how to behave their whole lives. Um, and now all of a sudden they're given the freedom, say in therapy, like with you to really explore who they are. It's scary to step out of that safety of your box and be able to do anything. That's a scary concept for somebody like that. And so they kind of get frozen. And I have seen a couple of people that in my years of learning and um, really trying to figure out who I am myself, really struggle with the idea of, of stepping out and making decisions for themselves. They were actually more comfortable, you know, going back and being told what to do by somebody that maybe had a lot of influence on them, even if it's negative. That's true. That, that's what really happens is that um, mm-hmm. we become reliant on, um, mm-hmm. you know, on people who have told us what to do and who we are. And it takes a lot of courage to step away from that mm-hmm. and say no. Mm-hmm. But I think what, ha- what happens is that when you don't, when you're an adult and you don't have a, an identity, you begin to feel very bad about yourself eventually. It's like you, you're depressed, you, you have anxiety. There's all kinds of things. Um, and most people don't realize it's because they don't know who they are. And they're just sort of um, blowing, going whichever way the wind blows. And yeah, and so, I think it's so important to work with someone like you to develop it, right? To to create it and have somebody coach you step by step. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So mm. the first thing I usually ask people is, "Who are you?" <laughs> and they look mm. at me and they're like, "I don't know." Well, I'm an accountant. <laughs> That's a big question. Well, I'm a, an accountant, and then I say, "Okay, well, let me tell you who I am." <laughs> you know. Um, but over the, over the course of the next week, generally when they come back, they're like, I have a whole list of who I am. Um, and mm-hmm. it's just because they've been given permission to, to be that mm-hmm. person. Um, and what a huge step. It is. It's such a big step. It really does help people uh, begin. That's the beginning of mm-hmm. building self-esteem. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you have a whole chapter on who are you, <laughs> um, and, and, and and I like it. I you know I actually copied it because you you asked some very specific questions like um, what matters most, what would what would you want to be known for, uh, what do you want people to say about you, what will make you proud, mm-hmm. what will make you feel content, what will make you feel mm-hmm. magnificent, you know. If you could hear mm-hmm. others talk about you, what would you want them to say? What words or descriptions would you want them to use? Um, I really like it because you re- you break it down. And that's a really – actually, I'm going to steal some of that <laughs> to help people to, to figure <laughs> out <laughs> to help people figure out what they want to uh, – how, how to identify who they are. These are very, very good questions. And they're such important questions, and they – they came to me when I was at my lowest, and luckily they came when I was able to sort of position myself in a really good place emotionally for a minute, just long enough to really ask those questions. Because a lot of the times when, and this is what a lot of people do, when you're depressed or you're sad or your world's crushing down 
all around you like mine was in 2008 and you find yourself kind of just like life sucks and I hate my life and you know why did this happen to me and that whole thing about you know why do you know why does my neighbor have this and I don't or my friend has this and I don't and you start to think that way and spiral down um, when you're in that place you can't possibly ask the right questions to get out of that you just you, you you're sort of reinforcing that negative spiral so the first step to getting to those questions that I talk about in my book, um, it really requires you to first begin with that beautiful state of gratitude and love and connection with others. And I was very lucky to just experience it uh, for a moment. And literally, that's all it took for me to completely shift who I was and what I believed and what I was committed to doing and why I was committed to doing it. And those questions really helped me define that. So where did, how did all of these come to you? I mean, was this just like a download that you got um, or, you know, were you connecting to spirit or um, it was just, they just, I don't know. How did they all come to you? Hmm. So we were every year, uh, my daughter and I would go, to Turks and Caicos for a week uh, during March break. And uh, that year it happened to be, since I paid for the trip the year before, uh, we were going anyways, even though my business was just about to fail and my house was gone already and I had maxed out all my credit cards. So I'm literally on this beautiful beach and I have no idea what I'm going to, you know, pay the groceries with more like when I get back. So I'm sitting on this gorgeous white sand beach. The ocean's right next to me. Sun's shining. Um, my daughter's building sand castles. And I'm just like, I don't know what to do next. And I hated who I was in the mirror. Like when I looked in the mirror, I hated who I was. And I hated what I was seeing. And all of a sudden, I just started looking at her and feeling like, what's most important to me anyways? What is, like, is it the business? Is it the house? Or is it my daughter and who who she is and who she becomes as a result of me. And a thought came, well, she's watching me. I mean, kids watch what we do, not what we say, right? So the thought came where she's watching how I behave. She's watching how I interact with people. She's watching what I do next. So I'm going to be grateful for her so that I can be the mother she deserves. And with that feeling, that gratitude feeling for who she is, came the other feelings of, you know, I'm grateful for my parents. Like they're amazing parents. They have always done just the best job at raising me and giving me confidence. And then I started becoming grateful for my friends. And I started thinking about all the wonderful moments that I've had in my life, like the laughing moments and the feel good moments and just the things I truly value in life that were not linked to all the things that were happening that were negative and just that rush of emotion and just combined with just looking at her and feeling amazing put me in a different place. And then that's where the questions came. It was just, I just said to myself, like, what do you really want people to know about you? Is it that you're constantly stressed out? Is it that you're constantly talking about and replaying the story of how all this happened to you and it's not fair and life is not fair? Or do you want to be known for a person that is, setting an example to her daughter as to what to do when stuff happens, when crap happens. Um, I wanted to be known for being able to 
fix it, being able to do whatever it takes to overcome my challenges. I wanted her to be able to learn to manage feelings and emotions when they're negative and step out of them and do something about them as opposed to talk about them over and over and over again. And really that was the beginning and just focusing on her and just saying, what do I want her to become? What kind of a person do I want her to become? And how would I want her to feel about herself when in this position? And that's literally what I started doing. It's amazing how our children can motivate us to change. I mean, I know mm. uh, my daughter, when she was born, I, she motivated me to do a complete turn, turnaround with everything. Mm. And I think what people don't understand is, you know, um, if you don't resolve your issues, it's going to affect mm-hmm. your children and your children are going to pick up on it. And people think, oh, mm-hmm. no, I'm hiding it from them. They don't really see it. But, but our children know. They mm-hmm. know how we feel about ourselves. They, they pick mm-hmm. right up on it. And so it's really, um, this is something that I'm really a strong proponent on. I, I say, if you, can't, if you can't fix your life for you, at least fix it for your children, because you're going to perpetuate the same situation, yes. the same insecurities, the same problems in them. How was your, um, you said you had a great childhood. How was your your, your self-esteem um, and your ability to cope with life before you had this crash of everything falling apart. Mm. It's funny you ask me that because when I say I had a great childhood, it actually was full of turbulence and challenges. Um, but what I look back on is the lessons, the moments, the love, right? I mean, we were, uh, we immigrated to Canada from Poland. I was 13 when we went to a refugee camp. And that was not easy. That was a year of pure hell for me and my parents, especially my parents, since I was just a kid still. Um, And then when we came to Canada, we didn't speak English. So there was a struggle there. And my dad struggled for many, many, many years. And we were dirt poor. Um, Watching him you know, do what it took, watching my mom do what it took to put food on the table. Those were not easy days. But when somebody says to me, you know, what was your childhood like? All I remember was the love, the, what they, you know, what they did to provide and what they did to elevate me, what, you know, my dad was so very motivated with school and pushing me to continue with school. And so he always encouraged me to learn and, you know, explore and just keep going and they were very supportive so I remember those moments I sort of vaguely remember the challenges but I remember it like it's a video that I watch not so much the physical pain that you know people experience in that moment and so that is a true message to parents the reality is that your kids don't remember the the pain that you were feeling in the moment they just remember how you managed it with them and with yourself what a great statement. That's a really great statement. They, they only really recognize how you manage the issue or the, the pain or the problem. Um, yes, mm-hmm. it's, it's so important that our children learn coping mechanisms um, from a young mm-hmm. age. Uh, it's, there's so many reasons why it's important. And in relation to the work that I do, 
uh, it keeps them from being sucked in by predators. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's really important, you know, that they know how to cope with issues because otherwise they can be very vulnerable. And there's a lot of people out mm. there that are predatory who take advantage of those who do not know how to deal with life. It's um, those who are vulnerable. But, you know, I asked you about your uh, self-esteem before the crash because you seem to have to build so much of yourself. And I'm wondering if you lost yourself when everything fell apart or maybe there were just some tools that you didn't have um, that you needed to really, um, you know, create that shift. Uh, for me, the challenge was that I had uh, internalized everything that I was feeling. So I'm a very internal person to begin with, and I don't share a lot until I've processed it. So when things happened and all this negative stuff was happening around me and you know, I found myself alone, um, it, it was difficult for me to cope because I didn't know how to talk about it at the time. And I think sometimes that is probably the introvert's biggest challenge is learning to speak to somebody about it, seeking help, like, you know, seeking a, a coach like you or, or a therapist uh, like you and, 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 or talking to friends or parents or anybody who's willing to help you. I just didn't have that in me at the time. And uh, so when I internalized it, I uh, developed IBS, so uh, just irritable bowel syndrome. And so I basically ended up living in stress inside where it certainly doesn't belong, right? And um, from that, essentially, uh, I started to not be able to cope with the slightest things. And that led to anxiety, um, severe anxiety, and maybe, you know, some negative thoughts along the way. And the reality is that I did have to learn to not have it live inside my gut where it doesn't belong, but learn through these little small shifts, little baby steps um, to manage it and come out of it and then do the things daily that improve my life and so that I no longer have to carry the weight of it inside me and just focus on who I want to be and who, what each day is going to be like in order to get me one step closer to that goal. So what is the first step to making the shift? So the first step I would say is to actually understand, and I think nobody really tells you this when we talk about change because, you know, habits, there's a lot of information out there on how to create change in life. But I think the first thing is to basically stop suffering. Now, what do I mean by that? So this is something that I go a little bit more into in, in the book, uh, in the book that I wrote, The Shift. But essentially, what I really want people to understand is the difference between suffering and not having something yet. So for example, if you're trying to lose weight, and uh, you're already in the process or thinking about it or working out or maybe eating well, you're doing it. Maybe you're seeing the process. Um, that's not having something yet. But then 
Like, if you look at me, for example, I'm 52 years old, I'm five foot two, and let's say that I want to be a professional basketball player. Uh, you know, I'm, there's no way that's going to happen. That's just realistic. But I really, really practice, and I'm really practicing it every day, and I really, really, really want it. But is that realistic? No, it's not, never going to happen. And so I'm suffering inside because what I want could never happen. And I know this sounds ridiculous, but this is what people do. They suffer by wanting something that is completely inconsistent with who they are and who they're really, really meant to be. So what they're missing out on by doing that is they're missing out on getting something else that is totally aligned with who they are. And that thing would feel way better than having this impossible thing to begin with. So the first step that I talk about in my book, that's the step that teaches you how to find out who you are. And we sort of touched on that. And what would give you those feelings of pleasure, fulfillment, success that aligns with who you are meant to be? And that stops the suffering. That makes a lot of sense. And then what is the next step? The next step is to have a plan. (laughs) So you take whatever it is you want to achieve and you create a plan on how to do this. So basically set out where you are right now, where you want to be. Again, I outlined that and I take you through this process in my book. Um, And then how you'll feel when you get there. And this is so important. Um, it's really important to understand what you will feel like, what this will give you, like the sense of what this will do for you to achieve whatever it is you're looking to achieve. And then answer the question of what you want to be known for. This is so important in defining how you get there. So not just that you get there. And then the final point, and I think that's the one that most people really don't think about, is how will you correct when something takes you off course? What I mean by that is what will you do when it gets difficult or something gets in the way? How will you correct when small things get in the way so you stay on track? So if it's raining and you've been talking about running or taking a walk and it's cold out or icy out and you don't feel like doing it, what will you do on those days? Will you have a different alternative? Will you come up with a different way? Will you do it and not commit to doing it another time? Or will you just get up and go anyways? And those are all the things that I talk about in the shift um, that create a plan. And the next thing is to really commit and take the first step. Whatever that first action is, whether it's buying your running shoes that you need in order to go running or maybe setting out a plan or uh, looking up recipes or just putting it down in your calendar or your agenda. That's the first step to commitment. Okay. Um, So getting back to uh, social media, uh, and you mentioned Mm -hmm. that you have a daughter. I don't know how old she is, but what have you taught her about social media? Do you limit her time with it? Have you taught her ways to cope with it? Um, How are you handling that? It's a a funny question, and I think a lot of people will not probably agree with me on this one. My daughter's 19 right now, and I don't have a lot of rules uh, when it comes to parenting. I've never imposed any kind of 
strict rules or limits on phone use or social media use. And oddly enough, I grew up with a lot of rules. So I almost feel like I did the opposite of how I grew up, uh, whether it's conscious or subconscious, whether it was a choice or just kind of happened. Um, but what I found with her, because I think partially because I was a single mom and I was, we were together all the time and we talked a ton, um, for me it was more about having conversations. And one thing I committed to a long time ago when she was still young was to never instantly react to something she shows me or tells me if I'm not happy about it. So just to kind of give myself a little bit of time to process and then have an actual conversation around it rather than freak out or, you know, get upset and then really have her block talking to me. So when we spoke about things that she was looking at or, you know, sharing with me, I was very open. And then we basically had a conversation around the pros and cons and the good things and the bad things. And she's just, she was just always very open with me. And I think that played a huge role because she's so disciplined when it comes to blocking time for, you know, turning her phone off. She actually uses an app and she blocks off a certain amount of time, you know, a day to look at things and then she cuts it off. And she only looks at the things that she wants to look at, but she doesn't allow it to, you know, go down the dark alleyway of emotions where if something is negative or something is going to upset her or there's a comment. She just, she just knows how to fluff it off and move on. So, and I think that did come from a lot of the conversations when she, when she was younger. And um, so, yeah, I, I don't ever have had, I've never had rules with her. However, I do believe in them. And I do think that rules when they're, about self-control when we set them out ourselves are not about restricting, but about teaching ourselves how to control any kind of behavior, right? Whether it's social media or uh, what you say or how you say it or how you impact people. So being kind to yourself and realizing that, you know, if I can control the amount of social media I look at, for example, I'm going to look at you know, 15 minutes a day or 20 more, half an hour, an hour, whatever it is, that's being kind to yourself. That's being good to yourself because then you can do other things in that time. Maybe read something that you've been looking to read or learn a new skill. Maybe look up a new recipe that has nothing to do with responding to likes. So, or even trying that new dish or cooking with family or calling a friend and saying, hey, let's chat about what's going on in your life. So it's being kind to yourself and kind to your family and kind to others. Mm. Makes sense. You know, I smiled when you said that you don't react. So that was my major thing. I grew up with a lot of reaction. I grew up in a home where everything was a reaction. Everything went from one to ten without anything in the middle. Okay, everything. So I understand that. And that was one of my primary things that I did in raising my children who are adults now um, was I never reacted. And I think that's so important because when you, when you don't react, you keep that dialogue open and that's what keeps children safe. Uh If they're going to communicate with you freely, uh, then they're going to stay safe because they're going to tell you what they're doing. They're going to tell you what they're thinking and then you can parent them. Um, But it's Uh hard to parent a child when you don't know what they're doing. So 
Never react. Everybody listening, if you're raising children, do not react. <laughs> so it's true. So important. It's so important. It's so important. <laughs> so so true. For those, <laughs> so for those people who are listening and have kids that are addicted to social media and they're finding that their children are just not thriving as a result of it, what would you tell them? Well, I've always been really about the end game, like what am I trying to achieve out of something, not just, you know, nagging or telling them what to do. So for me, it would be, what's your outcome? What do you want to achieve? And if you want to achieve a more balanced child that is more secure and maybe uses social media more wisely, by telling them not to use it or by restricting it, you're actually not getting the outcome you want because you want to actually teach them to control their own behavior not just be told what to do right so i would say definitely having conversations around it that are very direct and i have always been about direct just telling people what you know i think and how i feel but in a kind way so it's not about um it's not about putting them down or putting something down that they like one of the things that i see a lot with some of my friends is they they put things down right away. So if their child or teenager is looking at something um, they don't agree with, they're going to make fun of it or put it down or uh, something like that. I've, I've always just kind of thought, you know, tell me what you like about this. Like learn about what they're drawn to. Why do you, you know, tell me what you're getting out of the show or this person or, you know, what you're learning about. And um, then sort of get to know the motivation behind looking at that particular, let's say, social media site. Um, And just having a conversation, not even judging, not even telling them not to look at it, just uh, learn. And out of that, I would say you'll probably get a lot of different answers than you would by saying, you know, get off the phone, Joey, or whatever. (laughs) That's great advice. That is. That is great advice. Yeah, if you tell your child, your child not to do something, that just makes them want to do it more. But, I mean, I'm mm-hmm. not just children. That, I mean, that's, that's true that's, for us, I think too. that's everybody. <laughs> yeah, I think that's human nature. Yeah. You know? It's human yeah. nature. So, so I think that's, a, that's a, great, um, a great way to sort of get in. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of learning that can take place on social media if, you know, mm-hmm. like you were saying, mm-hmm. finding recipes and finding mm-hmm. ways to, <clears throat> to do things that we enjoy or that we're curious mm-hmm. about or we can learn. I mean, it, you know, it's wonderful. Um, I just, you know, I'm just concerned about all these kids who want to be superstars on TikTok. I mean, if we have a child that are, that's going for that, going for that route and sort of um, in a state of, um, I don't know, it's not delirium, it's, Fantasy, living in fantasy. Um, do you have an opinion on how to talk to a child like that? Well, one thing I would say for sure, and you actually said it just a minute ago, and that's really important, is that, you know, certain social media aspects, like, for example, looking up a recipe, I don't really consider that social media per se. I consider that basically easy research. So in our days when there was no internet, right, we basically either went to the library or asked our friends or parents uh, on how to make something, right? So if I want to make lasagna and I've never made lasagna, I'm going to ask somebody's mother or father who makes great lasagna, right? right. Now we have access to the internet and all kinds of 
recipes that we can quickly go through. And we have like endless input on how to make this so much better. So when you're talking about something like that, I actually think that that's one of the best, thing that's, best things that's come out of social media and internet is the ability for us to actually get answers really quickly and information really quickly. Um, and I think a lot of the, the, the kids that are now looking at potentially, and I, I could be totally wrong, but potentially you know, becoming famous for something, um, I actually do see, especially among my friends' kids, they're really looking to be known for something, but in a way of contributing. So one of my friends, for example, her daughter is now looking into, uh, and she talks a lot on her uh, social media platform about investing in um, uh, a blockchain, oh, right. uh, right. just investing money. Thank you. <laughs> Lost my words. Um, yeah. And, you know, at first, at a first glance, you would think, oh, she's just like, she's just being one of those kids that just wants to be famous. But she's actually trying to educate by she, what she's learning and she's passing it on to other kids her age. It's really interesting mm-hmm. when, when you really get to know what she's doing. So I think, again, coming back to that conversation we just had, really finding out what it is these kids are trying to achieve. Like, is it just, are you just out there, you know, to be famous and pose in different outfits and have people look at your picture and like it or not like it? Or are you trying to, because a lot of these kids do have a great message behind their, mm-hmm. their social media. And we just have to discover it as parents. And I think that's the key is just not shutting it out and not totally just saying, oh, this is ridiculous or silly. Find out what their motivation is, their big why behind whatever it is they're posting. And then that's how you get to the core of what it is they're trying to do. Yeah, I mean, it would be wonderful if, if most of these kids who are posting are, are, you know, have a purpose and are trying to teach or learn or whatever it is. Um, I guess mm-hmm. if, we, if, if, if someone has a child that is being superficial, um, that's just, you know, posing and try, showing different clothes and showing how mm-hmm. beautiful they are, and um, I guess that's really an indication that the child needs to have some um, – some support with self-esteem and, and things like that. If mm-hmm. they feel like they have to do that, um, there are a lot mm-hmm. of kids. Maybe they just need something that. to do. Yeah, that's true. They <laughs> <laughs> need do. a hobby or a sport or something to learn. Right. <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. So, um, <laughs> in, as we're coming down to the end of the show, was there something else you wanted to share? I know I asked you a lot of questions, but, um, but you wrote so many wonderful things in the book and you have so many great perspectives on this uh, stopping social media envy. So is there anything else you want to share with us? Or a final Thank message? Thank you for having me on your show. And I, and I think that you, um, you inspire people in so many ways and I was so happy to be part of this. And I think that you do have to look inside and what motivates you. Like for me, you know, for me, it was always the why behind something and what I want to achieve long term. And I think if we just focus on the big picture of who we are and who we want to be, uh, it'll eliminate a lot of issues along the way. So just focusing on your authentic self and allowing yourself to, to really spend some time figuring out who you truly are in your core and what your values are. I think it'll save you a lot of time trying to meet the needs of others who really don't know the true you. Oh man, you you just you hit the nail on the head. That's really um yeah, that's that's so important. You really that was a great great way to me- end the uh great message to end this with. Do you have a website? Yes, it's dragatha.com. 
Okay, that's easy. <laughs> and there's lots of information. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's lots of information on there, and you can see uh, where the book is uh, available on the different uh, online platforms. And yeah, check it out at dragatha.com And we'd love to. Uh, I'd love to have uh, some feedback as well from anybody who's listening. Okay, that sounds wonderful. And the book is available through normal book channels. Uh, Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Yeah. Yeah, all the right. yeah, online. All, all the uh, usual. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Exactly. How long, book, how long has the book been out, or is it just coming out? Because actually I asked for just a copy. Just came out. Said it was, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it literally just came out. Okay. Well, gosh, I wish you um, great success with it. It's a wonderful book, and it's, um, you know, your process is, um, it's so easy. You know, the way that you spell it out, it really, it really makes it so easy to achieve the shift. Thank you. So, That's the key. Thank you. Simplicity is the answer. Yeah, it absolutely is. It worked for you, so it's going to work, you know? <laughs> um, but anyway, thank you so much. It's been really, really nice talking to you. I've enjoyed this conversation. Thank you very much, Randy. Have a great day. You too. Okay, take care. So we are out of time today, but if you have any comments or questions about today's show, you can email me at love your life at randyfine.com. May joy and serenity always be yours. Goodbye. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Visit randyfine.com, R-A-N-D-I-F-I-N-E.com, and be sure to sign up to receive updates on the latest blog posts, events, and upcoming shows. Thank you for listening.